What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Good evening, listeners, brave navigators of the enigmatic and the concealed. Have you ever felt the pull of the unanswered, the allure of the mysteries that shroud our existence? For more than a decade, a unique comic publisher has dared to dive into these mysteries, unafraid of the secrets they might uncover. This audacious entity is Paranoid American. Welcome to the mystifying universe of the Paranoid American podcast. Launched in the year 2012, Paranoid American has been on a mission to decipher the encrypted secrets of our world. From the unnerving enigma of MK Ultra mind control to the clandestine assemblies of secret societies. From the awe-inspiring frontiers of forbidden technology to the arcane patterns of occult symbols in our very own pop culture. They have committed to unveiling the concealed realities that lie just beneath the surface. Join us as we navigate these intricate landscapes, decoding the hidden scripts of our society and challenging the accepted perceptions of reality. Folks, I've got a big problem on my hands. There's a company called Paranoid American making all these funny memes and comics. Now, I'm a fair guy. I believe in free speech uh, as long as it doesn't cross the line. And if these AI-generated memes dare to make fun of me, they're crossing the line. This is your expedition into the realm of the extraordinary, the secret, the shrouded. Come with us as we sift through the world's grand mysteries, question the standardized narratives, and brave the cryptic labyrinth of the concealed truth. So strap yourselves in, broaden your horizons, and steel yourselves for a voyage into the enigmatic heart of the paranoid American podcast. Where each story, every image, every revelation brings us one step closer to the elusive truth. Welcome to a special edition of Paranoid American Podcast. Just in case you thought that this was just going to be an interview show, it's not. Uh, but tonight we've got Tristan. And first of all, before I even get into tonight, I just love the 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 refactory or like the fractal nature of like you're inside of a picture and then you've got a picture behind you. <laughs> and like, just don't move your head because I want to imagine there's like I just another... realized that, that, that I'm in a double <laughs> painting here. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> 
So, well, so welcome again. I did have you on uh, a few episodes ago, and I'll link it down below, uh, where we just kind of talked about Greek magic and maybe Roman magic, and I kept trying to like inject Phoenicians into there. It was one of my favorite conversations, so watch that if you haven't already and you're watching this. But tonight, uh, it's not going to be an interview, so let me take, let me take you out of the, the hot seat here. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about werewolves because it's like October and Halloween's coming up. And the last time I was talking to Tristan, he mentioned that like right as we were ending it, or it might even be after we stopped the recording, he was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I just happen to know, you know, quite a bit about werewolves. And then, you know, I almost felt like a, a little disappointed that we can get to jump into that one in the last one. But now we've got an entire episode dedicated to it. And then in addition to this, um, about a year ago, I, I read the book of werewolves by, you probably know the guy's name, Sebring Bearing Gold or something. Um, and we did that for the Occult Book Club podcast. And that, um, we I think I did a touch up with Slick Dissident Gabe. So he might pop in a little bit later too to, to throw some of his two or three or four cents into the werewolves topic. So uh, first of all, welcome back to the show and can just tell people where to find you and whatever you're working on right now. Yes. I'm, I'm finishing up a book on the Celts. Um, basically it's a book on Druids, uh, Celtic magic, human sacrifice, unfortunately, um, uh, pretty much anything to do with the Celtic world. Um, so it's going to be a source book, which is taking the, basically the words of the ancients with the Greeks, the Romans, even sometime at times with the Celtic Celtic people had to say about them themselves right so uh putting that all into a book uh for students researchers anybody who's you know uh, interested in that sort of thing can hear what these people had to say themselves about the celts is there a lot of material out there on the celts or are you trying to fill in like a specific gap that's out there yeah a little bit of a, a niche um i think i think there's only one other primary source book on the celts and it's uh it's a good one uh, but I, I'm adding quite a bit more. Uh, is this, was it written by a Roman? No, it, <laughs> uh, this is a guy. I think a few years ago they did a book on it. Um, I'm trying to think. Okay, uh, like fa fairly modern then. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, a, a modern source, yeah. Is is there a, a specific theme with the human sacrifice, or does that just happen to, to be done by all the coolest cultures in history? <laughs> or is that what's like, is that the actual thread that's tying some of these together? Um, you know, in some ways, you know, the, the, the Greeks and the Gauls, you know, they're very interested in that. When we think of like, uh, you know, talking about a different culture or society, well, if they're, if they're sacrificing people, if they're, you know, doing all these wild things, well, that's the most interesting thing about them from the outside. So they're, they're writing far more about that than <laughs> anything else. Right. We could have been doing all kinds of cool stuff, but that one yeah. was just like overshadowing a lot of the yeah. other ones. Like, uh, you know, they don't, who cares what Teutonus is the uh, deity of, right? Not when we're doing, they're doing this stuff, right? <laughs> this right. is really interesting. The rock stuff. stars always get all the attention. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's a lot that was lost on the Celts, but there's still a lot that remains and putting it all into a book for those who wanted to study it, um, that would be a fun idea. I do have a uh, a YouTube channel as well. It's called Tristan Irwin. It's not very original, but um, 
yeah, I talk about a variety of things. Lately, I've been doing one on plagues over time and how that affected societies um, and uh, the chaos that they would bring. Eventually, I'm going to do one on the Black Death, uh, which will be a whopper. I haven't, I haven't, I'm a little delayed on putting that video out because it's like, where do you even start with such a gigantic cataclysmic event? All right. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how to condense that into a, <clears throat> you know, 40 minute video. Well, it seems like it's going to be topical for at least the next decade. So, you know, it's like material. <laughs> Right, right. So I uh, I got commissioned to co-write a book on plagues and pandemics and whatnot uh, that uh, I finished. And, you know, I basically had to write this book about all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, now that it's all in my head, <laughs> I might as well do some videos on it, right? <laughs> um, I Just real quick, before we even get into werewolves, I just, this question just popped in my head and I have to ask yeah. it on the, I guess the bubonic plague or black plague, where would you rate those on like a scale of one to 10 as far as plagues go? Oh, 10, 10. Um, it's the worst that there's ever been. Yeah. Okay. And, and, uh, without saying any names or any direct references, like the last, you know, four, five years or, or whatnot, where does that fall on the scale based on, you know, plague being 10? So I would say, uh, uh, you know, there's different ways you can look at it. I would say a one or a two, you know, I mean, it's, if you just look at, you know, the modern era, it's, it's fairly devastating, right? If you just look at the modern era and, you know, 1900 on, you're looking at that and it's like, oh, well, over a million Americans died and it's terrible. It's a tragedy. Um, But, you know, once you look at it through all out time and you see what's possible with the Black Death and other things, it's it become you know it, it you know you realize that that thankfully it wasn't as severe do you find yourself washing your hands more after you do like plague research <laughs> you know no I, I don't know about that i mean it definitely you know it, it, you know when covid was at it, its worst right it wasn't a, a super wonderful time and um but studying all these things like the Black Death or the Justinian Plague or the Ananine one and all these terrible things that, you know, just throughout time, it's you kind of end up feeling a little bit grateful that it's not so much worse. Right. Uh, when you're when you're looking at it from that perspective. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to commit anyone. anything. I'll, I'll actually edit this out if you don't want to do this. But, man, I'm already I'm already thinking of like the top 10 plagues video that we could do in the future. That would oh, okay, be a fun yeah. <laughs> one. We could have like little confetti and everything. There's quite a few. Of, uh, yeah, there's. Uh, would it have to be more than ten? Like, what, what would be what would be an appropriate be top fine. number I, to cover? You know, and maybe the narrow. It, it's tough to do it ten because some of them are really comparable in scale, right? And and we don't or, or know as much of where certain things affect. So. You know, how badly did this event affect Persia? How badly did this event affect Japan? How, how about this? That- I'm, I'm almost thinking of like a like a basketball tournament style, like tiered <laughs> league. May, so maybe we can start with like 40 of them and then just like keep drafting until we get to, you know, yeah. like the top two or something. I don't know. I'd say the Justinian Plague of the Black Death. You know, with the Justinian Plague, you have a comet coming and striking the earth and all hell's breaking loose and it's just it's 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 not good. So both of them are 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 
Okay, so you already know who's going to, I guess that's fair. You already know who's going to win. You don't have to wait for the tournament to, to really play out. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to I'm gonna cook on that one then. I think that there could be a fun way to present it so it's not just, you know, a, a typical. So, okay, so, yeah, yeah, something so the, that's just, yeah, completely the, true. The, yeah. the real reason that we got together is to talk about werewolves. And right, yes. first of all, I just wanted to know, like, what's your, I guess, what's your initial interest in werewolves? Like, how old were you when you were, I, I don't want to just say like heard of a werewolf, but like when was the first time you heard of one and thought it was cool? Young. I, I would go four or five, something like that. You remember you what know? it was? Was it like an old school movie or? It might've been the Wolfman. It might've been the Wolfman. It might've been a, um, some book or, uh, you know, like a picture book of some kind might've even been red riding hood. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you want to, yeah, I guess so. If you want to stretch it. Yeah. And, so, and are we talking Universal Monsters, Wolfman? Yeah, yeah, that was the, the 30s one, I think. Yeah. Okay. And, um, yeah, so it was early. I mean, I liked werewolves when I was a kid. I liked all the monsters when I was a kid. That, the idea of that fascinated me. And I grew up with Greek mythology and all these heroes slaying monsters and all that stuff. And, well, you know, adulthood got rather disappointing that there wasn't some dragon for me to go off. And my well, life you believe lost in all them, meaning. Man. Uh, <laughs> if you believe in them no. <laughs> as long as yeah the, the don quixote <laughs> attacking windmills right <laughs> or, or like tinkerbell you gotta like you gotta keep clapping to keep them alive right um so you know that's uh it was fascinating for me a few years ago um i got you know as i was getting my degree it's um I had to think of what area of history really interested me and and what I ended up being drawn to is, is things that hadn't been well, so well combed over. Right. So, you know, I'm American, I could easily write a book on the civil war or make videos on civil war history. But at this point, is there anything left to be said that hasn't already been said by somebody? Right. And so I don't really feel I can contribute if that makes sense. Now, something like werewolves, has there been somebody who, just pours over all this and, and not too many. Right. Um, and that's the same surprising as, to me. It, it, it is, but it's, um, <clears throat> we have to think about this. How much do werewolves matter? Well, I'm, I'm also thinking that you would compare the, I guess the interest of werewolves internationally, whereas the American civil war, maybe not as internationally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's also not evergreen. Like, <laughs> You know, people aren't doing werewolf reenactments outside of Halloween, or I guess if they if they were <laughs> consistently, it would be kind of weird. I don't know. It might be worth going to, uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> definitely worth going to. Right, we're going to uh, plan that. We're going to start planning just werewolf reenactments. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that drew me to to werewolves and looking at history in a different way. You know, charting these things. Um, but I would say why people, more people haven't gotten really interested in like the history of werewolves of the myth is, you know, how much does that, when we look at an academic, like educational sense, how much have werewolves impacted us? And the answer is not a whole lot, right? Not as much as nearly a bunch of other things, right? And so that's why it doesn't get, I don't think, talked about in traditional education. Um, but the werewolf, it, 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 it finds its home in, in magic right under that umbrella whether it is a curse whether it is a something that a witch is doing to themselves right and later on we get 
Christianity with the devil and all that. And, and all of a sudden it becomes a, a pact with the devil, right. To, to become this thing, but under the umbrella of shape shifting. All right. And what, what makes <clears throat> a few things that make, what make air werewolves interesting. So we have all these stories and legends about them. And uh, we even have serial killers, right. Who have been caught, who have confessed to being a werewolf. We just had one or already. There's been one this year. I was looking at the news earlier. There's been one this year where somebody believed they were a werewolf, went next door, killed a neighbor. Just right. one? And just Yeah, just one person, right? Okay. <laughs> but there have been serial killers who did this, right? Peter Stump was one of them. Um, and t- a whole list of them, right? And so that's something to take into account here. <clears throat> and then, of course, we have the psychological explanation that this is a form of psychosis, right? A delusion. Um, and I think that's very interesting. So we have psychology, we have history and um, criminality all all connecting together when, when we discuss the werewolf. Um, and here I'm going to bring in my uh, my homie here. This is Slick Dissident. Welcome to the party. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, we're doing <laughs> we're all we're all thinking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so h- how you doing, man? Uh, well, welcome aboard. We're talking about werewolves. Uh, you were listening a little bit backstage there. Um, just just to get out of the way, go ahead and let people know who you are, where to find you, and we'll keep going. Right on. Uh, how's my audio? You guys hear me fine? Okay, so great. Okay, great. So uh, my name is Gabe. Uh, my channel is Slick Dissident. Uh, I also get down with one-on-one. You'll find me over on uh, Chance Garten's Interverse podcast uh, on the Rockfin. Those are some of my haunts. Um, and I'm super excited about this topic. I'm so excited about this topic. It was almost exactly a year ago, Thomas, when we were rooting around in these these similar veins of thought. That's right. The Book of Werewolves uh, we did on the Occult Book Club with Juan. Yes, I highly recommend that one. Um, and some of the nuggets from that project have only gained more and more value and context that I'm really excited to share and unpack, man. It's nice to meet and, you, Kristen. Hey, nice to meet you as well. Yeah, buddy. And, I'm, uh, and I'm your most ahead, recent please. subscriber. I just subscribed to your channel. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to get a little kickback on that, by the way. I want like 5% <laughs> from, from whatever you get out of Gabe on this. <laughs> And it's it's interesting, Tristan, that you mentioned serial killers because it because some people might just think like, oh, what are these wild connections being drawn? But man, especially Gabe is good at like sniffing out all those synchronicities. And the last time that that we were just looking into werewolves, the Dahmer series was really really interesting, and it was getting all this extra you know media exposure. And just for whatever reasons, the same research we were doing in the werewolves started kind of combining with some of like the Dhamma research specifically what would make an actual human being even if they're not really turning into a werewolf like they think that they are or they want to or they just like change their mind that they they have the urges that a werewolf would have and so like I'll just cut right to the one that I found one of the most interesting but that the the want to like eat another person or eat like like a raw animal it's like this glistening and Dahmer was obsessed with like the way that I guess organs glistened when like blood was on them. And there's a specific name for, I'm not going to pull it up right now. It's a specific name from being addicted to that, like glistening effect. And it almost borders on like erotic um, sort of like a response that you can't even control. And deep, deep down, I guess 
the explanation is that that glistening, it's like if you were, you know, left out into a desert and you needed to find a water source, that something is hardwired in your brain to be like, whatever that thing that's glistening is, is good, go towards it, consume it, eat it. And uh, I don't know how accurate all that is, but that was kind of like where we had left it off. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, what what is all of that? What is what is ripping people to shreds? What is eating people? Well, it's inhuman, right? It's it's not something that you or I or anybody really th- like thinks themselves capable of. Um, and therein is a possible explanation for a werewolf, right there, right? Um, it the wolf, right, was a a, a serious predator um, in before the advent of guns and firearms and killed quite, you know, hundreds and possibly even thousands a year in, in mainland Europe. So, you know, it's a good comparison for people, you know, what could, what could tear this person up? What could eat them? Well, humans don't do that. People don't do that. It had to be something else. Well, he could have done it, but the only way he could have done it. So he wasn't human. He was a wolf. Right. And the other interesting part is that when we look at a lot of these serial killers, <clears throat> these people, they know something's wrong with them, right? They know that they're they're not normal. They know they're off. And a lot of times they they refer to something inside of them, that urge, right? And a lot of times they call that urge to do these things a beast or the devil, right? Or a demon or a wolf, right? A werewolf every now and then. So um, I think that it makes sense from our perspective, right? And certainly from ancient people's perspective, right? And I think it to the to the individuals committing the crimes, a lot of times they'll feel they have a beast in them as well. Yeah, one of my uh, nuggets from our weave back then, because we are we're moving into Halloween, so the the the, the setting is perfect, you know. Halloween, Halloween <laughs> time. Um, there are so many archetypal indicators this time of year that tell us to be frightful or responsive to predatorial behavior. And one of which I just love is, you know, the leaves are coming off of the trees, which make for a landscape of skeletal figures. The trees themselves become skeletons in the season that we respond to that by actually putting skeletons in the yard and spooky, scary things, all of which are invoking vulnerability and nakedness and shedding of the mortal coil. And one thing I'm interested, I'm so excited to share with you, this is a, this, this is a wonderful uh, truism, and it always has been, is that there is a wolf constellation in the heavens. Its name is Lupus. And it is in the favorable spot. We are in its season right now. We are in Libra, which is the scales of justice and the, 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 uh, the weighing of the heart ceremony. We're going into the underworld. It's time. Were you good this year? Are you going to get the treats? Right? There's a judgment that's going on. It's actually, it has to do with the harvest and um, Virgo is the time to, uh, to bring in all the, all the things out of the garden. And now it's time to store it and make sure, and make your decisions now because you got to make it all the way through the winter before you get uh, before you get uh, vegetation again. And we're going to need to hunt when the fruits and vegetables run out 
will need to resort to carnivorous behavior in time. And so it's important to have good judgment right now to weigh your your goods and your services and make your priorities right because we've got six months before you can have things come up for free out of the earth. And it'll be a heavy price when you have to kill something to eat. But right outside of Libra in the constellations is lupus. Uh, That constellation is being speared. It's being stabbed by another constellation, which is Centaurus, which you guys were talking about the centaur and the minotaur in the maze of the Minoans. And so the amazing riddle of the Centaurus is uh, astrological. And it's uh, directly related to the only wolf in the sky. And so I think it's fascinating that you guys went from the Minotaur and the Minoans, you literally walked down the spear to the next subject in the sky. And that is the wolf. <laughs> what would be the one after that? If we were to keep yeah. walking? <laughs> uh, the next will be the Scorpio and the Scorpion. Um, as we go into... Um, uh, November, we're going to walk in onto the Scorpio where it's betrayal and the, you know, uh, the kiss of betrayal, the Judas kiss. So one thing, Tristan, one thing I bring to the table, if you can't tell already, is I have a I have a star map locked in loaded. And I see a lot of academia looking back on mythology with all this um, without a map. They've lost what is the fourth pillar of the quadrivium. We know about the trivium is the three, the sacred three of learning. The quadrivium is the four. And the one that everybody thinks is superstitious or silliness or the things of children is astronomy and astrology. Back in the day, they were the same thing. That's We've secularized uh, the art into two different things. But for me, it's kind of all one and the same. So I bring a star map to the table which gives me, I think, a, a, a unique lens to the Greek thinking, the Greek way of thinking. And so when I hear these old philosophers, these old stories and these myths, I am literally seeing like a cheat sheet. I'm like, I, I feel like I'm the bard. And, you know, the bard, he's like sitting there strumming, strumming the instrument and everybody's looking at him and he's looking up in the sky like, like he's being dramatic or thoughtful. But actually, he's looking at the cheat sheet is the sky, is the heavens, and the stars and the dynamics, how they roll out. So that's something I bring to the table. And and, uh, and speaking of the table here, uh, I'm kind of sitting right, I guess, in the middle, uh, almost as like an observer. But I really want to figure out first if we can put some boundaries on what we would consider a werewolf. Because like, Tristan, you had a great example where you said like, well, Little Red Riding Hood. Well, I don't know. Like, if we were to define it and if we were like getting into like, you know, a very philosophical debate about it, which is not what I intend to do at all. But if we were getting that, I would be like, I don't know. I don't know if I would consider the, you know, the wolf from Little Red Riding Hood to be a werewolf. But I want to hear if if you feel like that it really does and you have a good argument for it, because I want to know like where the boundary is. At what point do we say, OK, that's no longer a werewolf? Like what what do you what are the criteria, I guess? Well, it's, it's been, you know, early on, there wasn't a ton of criteria, right? You could have a demon in, in the visage of a wolf. You could have a demon possessing a wolf, and that was going around killing everybody. You could have um, also, you could have a ghost that came back 
right? Um, and was haunting in the visage of a wolf, right? That happens with, um, I'm not going to go into detail on it, but that, there, there's an early Greek story about that. Um, one of the first, you can, if you want, you can go in detail, man. This is the time to do it. I want to hear it. Well, there is an instance of a lost Greek hero. We pull this. Yeah, please. I mean, it's if we're going to do it, man, this is the Themis time and place. Is uh, the guy, uh, Euthemus of Locri. Um, one, the idea here being that it is a ghost, a of one of Odysseus's sailors that um, got banished from the voyage and ended up there. And uh, the ghost is the haunting the people of Locri. And um, Euthemus casts out the the man, the werewolf, the ghost thing. Um, and it's described as a man with very black skin um, who was dressed in wolf skin. And that is the explanation for it. It doesn't say how Euthemus got rid of the creature, um, only that he did. Um, so that gives you an idea that they're thinking about it in a, in a, a lot of different ways, right? And the same thing with a witch, right? Casting a spell upon his self or herself and, and becoming this or using an amulet or, or a belt or a girdle and wrapping around themselves. And that allows them to transform or make a pack with the devil. But to answer your question, little red rotting hood, I don't know. He does have, the wolf does have some human features, right? He can talk, he can speak English, which is um, unique to uh, just us and the parrot and the macaw. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe maybe he is in some ways a werewolf, a, a uh, you know wolf man <laughs> since he can talk. So so I mean honestly I don't even know if I would count that criteria for werewolf. Yeah, uh, be- and unless it's like in in human form you can talk, and then once you transition in the werewolf maybe you can't talk anymore, or if you can do both. I mean that sounds even more impressive. Yeah, and I don't think there I don't think there are hard rules on it. You know, I mean, I don't think you know every society kind of viewed it a little bit differently. When we talk about how do you kill a werewolf or how do you cure lycanthropy, any time period, any place, location on a map, they're going to have a different answer for you. There's so many different ones. Um, I can't tell you the most popular way to do, get get rid of it because everybody had a different idea. Well, we're, we're, I want to get into that one specifically in a second. I want to know from Gabe if you've got any criteria. I'll I'll put some specific ones out and we can debate them a little bit. But yeah, what what's your criteria for a werewolf? This is a great question. Uh, I would say uh, inexplicability, like it has to have some aspect of mystery. Like you guys were saying on the last show, like how a uh, Bigfoot always he knows that you have a camera so he he knows when to shift in and out of dimensions as long as there's a, a inexplicable aspect i think the the werewolf is is uh is like a go-to default explanation for you know why why am i chickens disappearing well it must be a wolf because wolves are crafty you know uh in and it's better to blame a wolf than to blame your neighbor in fact, if it's your neighbor, then you have to go to the, you got to go through jurisdictions and go to court and you got to prove it. You got this burden. So it's actually like a default, um, just a simple, uh, almost forgiveness just to be like, eh, that's the way of the world. Shit happens. So I think writing off a great amount of things to the wolf is a, 
is kind of a stopgap measure so that you don't go attacking your fellow man. Uh, theoretically, I'm speaking from experience. I've seen some chickens going missing and it turned out it was a close relative. It was a bear. We found out it was the bear eating the chickens. So yeah, I think that sometimes we need it to be nature so that we don't go and accuse people carelessly, you know? Yeah. Do we count wolves as werewolves? I think so. You know, I want to, I want to put a few things on the, in context of these origins, you know, in, um, in Germany, you know, the brothers Grimm stories, the word Grimm says a lot, but the, uh, you know, red riding hood, there was no hunter who came at the end and made everything better. That's Amer- that's Americanizing. That's a, that's a late, um, addition to the story. Um, and in fact, the wolf wins all of the times in all of the uh, cases in Germany. When there is a wolf in the story, it actually ends bad. And there's no savior who's going to come and make everything okay. Uh, so one thing that I think is valuable about that and even functional is that these were children's stories. And these are ways that we terrify the children into obedience. And I, and I think that that's actually, that is um, speaking as a father, that's our job. It's, it's not a, it's not a fun job, but it's important to put the fear of God in our child so that when they're walking out in the street, chasing the ball, we don't have to run across the yard to save their life. We can do it with the command of our voice like that in their knees go weak and they almost collapse because you can boom a command to the child and make them stop because they know better. And this is the, you know, it's classical conditioning, but it is also important. It's a, it's a voiceless leash. You know, it's better than actually putting leash on your child. When you go to the grocery store, you just have your, your voice is programmed for them to respond in a way that saves their life when it needs to. What if they're deaf? Deaf people are very acute to uh, slight gestures. You actually just go like that, and the, they know they know how to stop. They're ex- extra sensitive. <laughs> I studied I studied sign language. It's amazing. If it's you amazing. were out in public, could you tell if like a dad was yelling at his kid in sign language versus just talking to him? Would it be yeah. like <laughs> totally? It, it's, you do like karate it's, chops. Yeah, it's even more articulate, uh, funny enough, you know, the way the body language conveys uh, even more, especially in the in the uh, the, the unhearing community. So we've, we've got a wide net cast and I'm not going to rein it in. So we've got on one end of the spectrum ghosts or witches that turn themselves into a werewolf temporarily. And on the other end, we've just got a literal wolf. So I guess that that's the gamut of what a werewolf might be. So, and I'm, and I'm not going to try and redefine that. It sounds pretty accurate. So what, what would be like the difference between a regular old wolf and a werewolf on that side of the spectrum? Like we're talking about the animal kingdom. They, it's not anthropomorphic. Like what's the werewolf version of that? I think once they get in, uh, in either ancient or medieval times, I think once it gets, uh, to the point where they're killing people and they're doing it frequently, then it crosses over into something supernatural. They, that's, 
generally mentioned. Um, and uh, I was just reading Malice Maleficarum about what it had to say about werewolves and the werewolf. Hunts. Was this a casual read? Or <laughs> no, heavens, that's but, not a fun read. Keep it, keep it by the bedside. <laughs> okay, go, go ahead. It's, uh, it's not a good read, honestly. Uh, and, and I mean, it's fascinating, but so many people end up dying thanks to what's in its, its contents. But, um, you know, it, it, they were talking about that um, on the wolf and how that they could, the, the devil could possess a wolf and cause it to do extraordinary things, right? We can't catch the wolf. It's killed three kids. We can't catch it. We can't find it. We don't know where it is. The devil is aiding it somehow, Right or a witch's spell is aiding it somehow. And so where you take in a regular wolf and then introduce magic or uh, the, the power of the devil or whatever, and then all of a sudden it crosses that threshold into a werewolf for me. Yeah, I, I like to point out how we still call them uh, children's tales. Yeah. Even the term that we, you know, in... I think um, so much of this, it, it is seeded in childhood. It's implied while we're malleable. It's uh, it, while the soil is extra fertile. And then once we grow up and we should have put those things away, they're still in the subconscious regardless. You know, um, one example, I mean, I have a lot of examples, but one is like, I now call him Darth Ventilator. <laughs> Yeah, and in 2020 hindsight, the impactfulness of ventilators killing people dry, calls back to the you know 70s and 80s when the all-time nemesis of humanity was. <laughs> it's auditory; it's not just visual. It actually is impactful on a on a. It's seeded in our consciousness while we're young, and so we're that much more likely to overreact or have a more emotional unleveling when it's uh, unpacked when we're adults it becomes overly serious. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that is the, that's magnifying uh, these, the, the, these innocent tales become magnified so that the collective who consumed that all together, uh, we're all on the same page when we hear about, these scary nemesis from, from our childhood. So yeah, I just love that we still call them children's tales. Right. And, you know, and I don't know that they were ever really children's tales or just children's tales. You know, I mean, when you think about it, we've kind of turned it into that, but uh, I mean, I remember growing up reading Greek and Roman mythology and they would, they would consider it a kid's tale and it would be in, you know, I'm reading about Perseus killing Medusa and it's a kid's tale. And it's like, what? Uh, when you grow up and you realize like, well, I wasn't really, that wasn't meant for children. <laughs> you know, it's being marketed as that, but I mean, and it, it was great reading as a kid, right? Obviously, but you know, it's just, yeah, not exactly for children. Yeah. If you had a, if you had to pick one version of a werewolf story, that's your favorite. That doesn't have to be the most classic one, like movie book, whatever. Do, do you have one like, like already in the chamber and why for is me, it teen wolf? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> for me, you know, I think it's the story of the origin story of the werewolf that we know of when it comes to writing of, of King Lacan, 
right? And where like the term lycanthropy comes from. Um, and um, of these cannibals in Arcadia, who were supposedly of the Nuri tribe of Scythia or Scythia, who migrated into that region of Greece, set up their own kingdom under Lacan, and um, engaged in cannibalism, specifically of, of usually of children. And um, depending on how who was telling the story, um, the act of cannibalism would turn them into wolves, right? Alternatively, those people were punished by Zeus um, and turned into werewolves because they committed that act, right? Depends on, but that, that is the origin um, in writing of, of the werewolf. And, uh, you know, might have, might go back further. I'm sure it does other places, I'm sure. But that's, that's the one we get in print. And uh, was, so I was, think in some ways that's my favorite. Was the punishment there? Like if you, you know, if you like, uh, I guess it's your parents finding your cigarettes in your room or it's like, oh, you want to smoke a cigarette? Smoke 40. Was that like, oh, you want to eat a kid? Well, now you're just going to have to eat kids forever. Yeah. So that was, you know, it's, we were just talking about someone's, he was just talking about someone's stories and how they teach a lesson, right? This is meant to teach a lesson. You know, the Greek religion didn't have a Bible uh, and where Jesus says this, Jesus says that, and or the Ten Commandments, right? They they weave their morality through their stories. So when Lycaon tries to sacrifice a child to Zeus and then eats it, Zeus smiting him is letting everybody know, do not sacrifice people. We, hey, we don't like child sacrifice, or we don't like any kind of sacrifice, and also don't, you know, practice cannibalism, right? So the story is teaching a lesson. I love um, I love the term uh, laconic. It's when you can you pack in a lot of information and just be as curt and as stoic and monosyllabic as possible. I think a lot of this hails back to the Spartans. The symbol of the Spartans is an upside down V, which uh, is a, is a is an actual letter, but it's a dog ear. The dogs of war are still quite amongst us. D-O-W is the Dow Jones. And the dogs of war, these terms are dog whistle terms for those in the know. And so if you've been in the military, you know the value of being a Spartan-like persona. You know the value. I just of- noticed I'm actually just noticed I'm wearing a werewolf from my uh, from military, <laughs> this is a <laughs> that's crazy. That's I didn't do that. I swear I didn't do that on purpose today. Now that's what's up. Now this is again going back to the father being able to uh, to reach into your soul and freeze you with a single bark, with a single one word, one call. No, and you you're frozen, and that's reaching deep down into your neuro networks. And putting you on pause uh, for good reason, um, but I believe that that V of the Spartan shield is also a dog's ear, because Spartans are trained to uh, communicate very concisely and to not waste any mouth sounds uh, with flowery speeches. And so all of these things are still alive and well today. I love the term dog whistle. It, you know, if you've read. If you've read certain books, then somebody can be right in the middle of their speech and only use one word that is a trigger word or it's a 
It's a compartmentalization of so much other information. But because you read Machiavelli, you know what vertu means, you know, and they only have to use it in, in a certain context with a certain flavor. And it becomes like a dog whistle. Uh, uh, and I also talk about laser pointers, too. You know, sometimes these things are like a, that makes cats want to chase or pursue. Uh, but I think that we still use this technology uh, in really fun ways. But uh, yeah, so laconic comes to mind that a single syllable can convey so much information in history uh, and still does to those who are in the know, like the military. Did Was that an intentional pun when you said that the, the drill instructor puts them on pause? Or Is was it, that just a natural pun that worked itself in? I have to know. Buddy, I don't know anymore. Okay, okay. I don't know anymore. What's the difference, right? That's usually your answer. What's the difference if it was intentional <laughs> yeah, or not? It's so true. Yeah. So Tristan, that's another thing I do. I am a I am a pun theist. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so Gabe, do you have a favorite werewolf story or movie or anything? Well, uh, you know, you said you said it. You said Teen Wolf. Um, I have to say, like, that is probably the most prolific, most broadly uh, distributed uh, uh, example. We're talking one, two or the cartoon series? Uh, probably the cartoon. I think the cartoon had more airplay all around when I was a kid. But it does. Uh, it, Teen Wolf, it hails to one of the essential aspects of Medusa's story as well. And uh, and without going without being too elaborate or over floral. Um, when you're a teen, you are going through uh, a metamorphosis of extreme rapid fire potential. You know, you have zits and pimples coming out. You got hairs growing in places. You have urges that flare up and then die down inexplicably. One minute you're on this kind of mentality and the next you're on the, so we're extremely, um, uh, prone to change when we're in a, the when we're young, when especially when the horror the horror moans are kicking in, and that is exactly what uh, sent Medusa into flight. Was she was she was claimed to be more beautiful than um, than even Athena in one morning, and then she got down with Neptune in Athena's temple, which was strike two. And then one morning, she's combing her hair in the mirror. That reflective element is very important. Whenever there's a mirror in the story, uh, many other layers of significance are being conveyed. But while she's in the mirror, she notices her body is changing right in front of her own eyes. And she it's inexplainable. And now she's no longer more beautiful than Athena. She can't live up to her claims. She doesn't know how to face humanity in this new body. And she literally grows wings and flies out the window and goes, uh, uh, flies south for the winter, so to say. Uh, but that is what happens when a woman is pregnant. She sees her curves are changing, her, her breasts are taking on new form, and, and she feels different inside. And it's, and it's reflective. It's, other people are going to notice. You can't hide this stuff. And so that aspect of the human experience going through rapid change, I think, is harnessed by these stories. And uh, almost uh, uh, magnified and uh, embellished to the extent that we're like, no, that seems plausible. That seems possible. That seems likely. 
And yeah. I, I want to just jump on this one right away because Tristan brought up that there's so many different ways that you can kill a, a werewolf, right? So what what are all the? Because I mean, I've I've heard the silver bullet, and then I can just imagine all the other ways. But what are like what what is it beyond the silver bullet? Everything. I mean, it, it's you know, I mean, from killing them to trying to. You know, because they didn't always want to kill them. That's important. Uh, yeah, what are the exotic ones, I should say? Because, I mean, the exotic all, like, ones? all the ways that you could kill a person or a wolf, plus dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, I mean, cutting them to pieces. Uh, there was burning, uh, death by burning. That was popular during the werewolf hunts. In the Renaissance, a lot of people don't know this, but during the witch hunts, there was a werewolf hunt going on as well. Hmm. Not as large, but in the same places of Germany, France, and Switzerland. It would and, sound more uh, badass and like, hey, I kill, I killed a whole bunch of these old lady witches, and then some guys like, I just killed a werewolf. Yeah, like, all right, all right. and and interesting, the people accused of being werewolves were uh, almost always men, um, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, where were we? Oh, how to get rid of them. Uh, what, I well, think how to kill, what are the exotic ways to kill them? You know, I think that's... I covered it, but there's... what The exotic way to me is that uh, they actually, you know, they come up with recipes to try to heal them. Um, and I think that's interesting. Um, if you don't mind, I'll read from something. Yeah, now. please. I never... Um, I guess I guess I'm so uh, so fascinated with like all the ways that people wanted to kill werewolves. I never even considered that you know, there's like ways either. to save Yeah, them. but yeah, it, it didn't. But yeah, I mean, exorcisms is an obvious one. But they would do that. Um, this is from uh, Marcella Sedites, which is this is actually the first description of medical lycanthropy, um, and this is from the second century AD. Uh, men afflicted with the disease of so-called lycanthropy go out into the night in the month of February and imitate wolves or dogs in all respects. They tend to hang out around tombs until daybreak. Their symptoms, they are pallid. Their gaze is listless, listless. Their eyes are dry and they cannot produce tears. You will observe that their eyes are sunken and their tongue is dry and they are unable to put on weight. Let's go to the uh, the actual cure here. Oh yes, so they're gonna they're gonna run the whole thing about the humors. Um, give him a bath using whey milk. Cleanse him for three days with gourd medicine. Uh, repeat this second and third time after intervals. After purifications, one should use the antidote to viper bites. So. Uh, the implication there is that there has been a bite on the victim and treat it as you would a snake bite. Um, yeah. So try like and, suck try out the werewolf poison? To, uh, try using lotions to induce sleep as well. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that's a weird... But they're they're treating it like it's a medical condition, even by the second century AD. Like they're trying to attack it from that direction. Um and I don't think sucking out the poison, but I think uh, administering some kind of herb, right? And this, their their medicine was all over the place, right? And they, they I, I couldn't tell you what it was because they all, seemingly every doctor had a different cure. 
<laughs> and it was always convenient that it just happened to be like something that grew in that region, I'd assume. Something, yeah. Yeah. They they tried everything they could. They they you know. What is it about silver specific? Because I guess to me that's the most exotic one still out of all that. Because chopping in the pieces and burning, like that would work with a normal wolf, right? Or a normal person. But a normal person, the idea is like if I shot them with a silver bullet and it just grazed them, then it wouldn't be any different than a normal bullet and I had grazed them. But if it hits a wolf, all of a sudden now that silver makes much more impact and or um, like like the same thing is that if I were to shoot a wolf with a normal bullet, it wouldn't do anything at all. So it's it's something clearly obvious with the silver that's doing something to the wolf to to like counteract it somehow. Holy metals are precious metals, salts, water, holy water, all these things going all the way back to Sumer. Um, and there's always been these sorts of things attached to it. The silver probably having to do with the moon, the silver of the moon. Um, why is the werewolf... Why does it have to do with the full moon? Well, because that's when people would go outside at night. Um, people like to be out at night and hang out and party. And why? Because it's 100 degrees during the day. <laughs> it's crease after all. So it was a great time to go out on the full moon. The, it's bright. You can see, actually see where you're walking, see what you're doing. Um, and that's when a lot of times people spend their night outside when they spend time outside would be uh, at a, on a full moon. Um, yeah, so I would say the silver and then something to do with the moon. And then I believe, I believe a goddess around that time, something to do with the moon. It was attached to silver as well, but I can't remember specifics. Yeah, it was, um, Diana was the goddess. So some say when, um, I believe it was Tantalus, he had a feast for the gods and he fed, and he fed human flesh to the gods. some derivatives of that story say that it was Diana in particular who ate the flesh of, of that, of that boy who I forget the name, but Diana is the moon character. So it is, uh, so it, it has consistency with the fact that, you know, there's more cops on patrol on full moons, the psych wards, they call in the backup on full moons. I've worked with children uh, in halfway houses where uh, where we need extra security, and it is it's a real thing, which is funny because it's not that the moon is any well, it is closer and further away on its own cycle, but it's the same moon. It just has more light to it, and there is something uh, there always has been something magical about that. But it is it's Diana uh, in some of the stories who ate the flesh that made her go a little loopy. That's the Scott Tennant. Uh, Storyline, I think that is some secret knowledge you have stumbled upon there. That is that is secret knowledge, um, and what I mean by that is, are we going to get guilt for- translated out of Latin to English? So you found it somewhere, um, but that's it's really cool. I just stumbled upon it uh, last week and was translated that verse in from Latin into English with nice. a great deal of agony. Nice. Because <laughs> I'm not good at Latin, but yeah, I just I just found out about this last week translating. I forget who who was it, but anyway, um, from my book on the Celts, because just previously I've been talking about, uh, I believe, yeah, sacrifices the Celts were making, and then he goes in to talk about Diana. Yeah, 
Nice. Yeah. And I love pointing out Diana's name in reverse is Ennead. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a whole legacy lineage of what the Ennead means, meaning the nine. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the magical square of the moon is a nine by nine square. Uh, so, yeah, many, much consistency going on. But I want to point out the, on the silver, again, with the mirror, with the re- reflectivity. And something that I do a lot is I, uh, I read in reverse. And uh, because I find a lot of subconscious seeding goes on when you read words backwards. And so uh, silver, uh, if you allow the L to the R switch, which is, uh, which is a philological mechanism, it's the fundamental, uh, silver becomes, uh-oh, they zap me. You're good. Oh, you can hear? Okay. Look yeah. like I got zapped. Uh, silver becomes reverse. Uh, I do anagrams as well. So I take a lot of liberties with words. But silver and reverse are correlated. And even the river, the word river is a palindrome. It goes in two directions. In Gematria, uh, I believe it's septenary, the word river is 555555. So no matter which way you read river, numerically, it's self-reflective. So for silver to be the element, which like you said, is the moon, it uh, is reflective of the moon. Well, that is, uh, it's, it's elementally impeccable to hope that you can reverse the effects of the spell. So to mm-hmm. use silver on somebody who's, who's gone off the path, you're hoping to reverse the effects, but you're also hoping to prevent their, uh, their uh, affliction, to keep it from, uh, from getting on you or your loved ones. Uh, and, uh, this has a lot to do with, um, even the letter RX prescription, RX means prescription today in, in medical terminology, but that's a, that's a, a, a glyph. That's a sigil that originally, again, with the missing fourth pillar of the quadrivium, originally RX meant retrograde. And this is planets like to retrograde. Uh, I call it the moonwalk. Michael Jackson's moonwalk is a retrograde ritual that uh, we all partook in uh, walking backwards. Uh, aside from the moon, is there any other like planetary um, importance <laughs> when it comes to werewolves? Like, is there like, like you, we also mentioned, I think it was Tristan mentioned in like February, they would come out. Like what, what was the importance of February and werewolves? Well, you know, that's just one Greek fellow saying that and, and different people say different things. Um, so I, <laughs> so are they like an all round thing? Like werewolves would just be, you know, January through December. Yeah. According to some, otherwise it would be, you know, Hey, it only happens two nights a year on these two specific things. They don't specify what those nights are, but it, they, they got all sorts of different ideas and, and visions of what their concept of a werewolf is. But I really like what you said a moment ago about the silver and it's reflective. Um, and you know, in some ways the werewolf has a reflection problem, right? It is not what it appears to be. It it has gone metamorphosis. Um, it is human yet it is masquerading as a wolf. Um, 
So it could be interesting. Piercing it with its true reflection could turn it back into what it actually is. I love that. Yeah. 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 I thought I just, anyway, I think that's really cool. But um, with, with clinical lycanthropy, what they've shown is when they do, when they do studies of the brain and the brain, the, the section that, you know, of the brain that constitutes where we, we form of what our form is, like our body's form is, theirs is highly askew. It's, 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 there's something wrong with it. Um, And so that they're, they have an identity problem, more or less. They have psychosis, obviously, but, but they have, there's a problem with the part of their brain that conceives of their body, right. And what their body is. And, you know, Oh, I, I can stick my hand out here and I have this much range and this is what my appearance is. All these things like that, that center of the brain um, regulates and it, it, it's, it's gone very amiss it, and they can tell that in the study. So when they bring in people with lycanthropy that are barking and biting walls and just wild stuff, um, and they're treating them, they can see in the brain scans that this, this section of the brain is amiss and what they identify and what they believe they are is amiss. That, so it goes what they're saying with the reflection and the silver and the true reflection and all that stuff. This, this is, uh, there's much to be expounded on here. So body dysmorphia will be, will be a very close cousin to gender dysphoria and in a fascinating way, we are putting an entire generation of people in a position to just be one step away from believing they are something that they're not. And we're condoning it publicly. This is a hot topic. A lot of people want to point some, point some, some arrows and some spears at us for even suggesting that we're putting children while they're young in a one nudge away easy we're sponsored by pfizer still so you be careful i do i gotta talk around this we're i don't want to i don't want to lose my sponsorship we are tiptoeing through the tulips but isn't that fascinating that it's actually fostered that it's actually socially acceptable for people to think that they're something that they're not encouraged so there's a there's a realistic version of this right what about feral children would feral children be considered werewolves by today's standards and also did like in the past that they used to call feral children werewolves? Not, not to my knowledge in terms of children. Um, they did say in some, some instances that a child could be born a werewolf, but I don't know that they mean it in a feral way. Um, we're, we're talking about team wolf again now. Oh, right. Right. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, about feral children, feral adults. Yeah, um, that that association off got made with uh, people who are out in the woods. Generally speaking, if some in the, during that time, if somebody was living off in the woods by themselves, they were probably not well, right? They were either a reject from society, they had been pushed out by society, and no longer lived to live with us humans. And um, a lot of times, that was that would be due to mental illness. Right, either crime they committed some heinous act, get out. You know, um, you slept with somebody's daughter you shouldn't have, get out. We're not going to kill you, but you need to leave. Nowhere to go, or it's mental illness, and that, that's. But they be pushed from society more or less, and those people would often get uh, believed to be a demomaniac um, or a possessed, right? Or and in other some cases a werewolf, and even I guess 
weaving back in uh, Gabe's uh, what seemed like a tangent on the Darth Vader reference, but the the werewolves in that context remind me of the concept of like the old hag, where it was also uh, coincidentally very convenient to accuse the old people that were like reminding you of your mortality and needed extra help to get around and might have needed extra help during winter to to kind of prepare themselves. So by kind of dehumanizing them and saying, ah, well, they're a witch and they're practicing black magic. And that's why they, you know, they're dying and they need all this help all the time. Um, And the same, I guess, with a werewolf, like Gabe was saying before, if you just let the neighbor off the hook by saying, oh, maybe a a wolf, you know, killed the chicken. um, That's not using the silver bullet mirror to like let them know like, hey, I saw you. I know what you're doing. You're stealing. You're right. And there there were many people during the werewolf hunts that were neighbors. They were farmers, actually. And they're like, my neighbor doesn't like me. We've been getting into it about what, whose land is whose. And now three of my chickens are dead. Look like I got killed by a wolf. My neighbor's a werewolf. <laughs> right. So, and, and it happened. Believe it or not. I'm cool, dude. Like if, if you were a lawyer presenting that in the in a case right now, and it's, I don't know, like 1300s or whatever, like I'm sold. <laughs> yeah well yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty funny uh but or well not funny but looking <laughs> back on it, it it's it's funny to see how ridiculous things could get at certain times in history you know i got uh i got something on the february um and uh it without making it too without going too far in depth uh this is actually a project i'm kind of cooking up right now but um February 2nd is Groundhog's Day. Yes. And, and Groundhog's Day is... Uh, We're thinking again, right? You don't even know this, but before we even started recording, <laughs> I asked Tristan what his favorite holiday... Because we're getting close to Halloween. And he was like, no, I don't care about Halloween, dude. Groundhog's Day is my favorite holiday. Oh, And he was being serious. He wasn't just joking about it. Oh, buddy. Buddy, we got to hang out. We got to hang out. <laughs> I got a I got a huge project that is just too much. I don't want to. All right, all right. But, uh, yeah. Let's rein it back in. What were you talking about? <laughs> Groundhog's Day and werewolves. I want to see where this is going, then. So this is the uh, the legacy. This is the the last remnant of socially acceptable reading of auguries. Now the augury readers in uh, in Rome they're unelected. They're not uh, subject to anybody's opinion or preference. They're, they're completely in a domain of command that is unchecked. And in Rome, uh, in Greece, even before that. Um, but we, uh, we, yeah, this is so hard to keep it narrow. Okay, but it is, these are the practitioners of animal magnetism. And some of the the language we use is still a, totally alive and well. It's all over the place, but we keep it in this little paddock, narrow, confined space of what's acceptable. So yes, we're looking at this uh, Puxitani Phil, who's 140 some years old, and he drinks a, an elixir of life to stay alive. He's never. It's the same one that five generations back was using. Um, it's very Masonic. They got those those top hats that you love, Thomas. And uh, so the other, but, he doesn't have a fez, though. 
That would have been even cooler if Funk Sonny Phil had a fez. That would be cool. Maybe someday uh, we'll get that, that. That's why. That's why Groundhog's Day is my favorite holiday because I think it's hilarious that this this groundhog has been put in the position of being an oracle, and we are in the year twenty twenty three. Yes, my friend. Yes, I think. I think that the this. I think this is great for you to. Um, God, I really want to go in with you on this. We st- so okay. So the uh, the master of ceremonies in the uh, augury readers uh, wing of the government. This was lit. This uh, God. This is literally the media. This is why Fox News. That's why there's a there's a a, um, a peacock. That's why they use animals as their logos. This is still alive and well, fellas. I'm here to tell you. And we're 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 so obedient to these media, these go-betweens that are going to tell us what's to come. We're still doing this. We've just desensitized ourselves to the language. So the master of ceremonies for the reader of auguries, this is where the word president comes from. And what is the ceremony that makes the president the president? It's called the inauguration. And the president is taking our votive offerings. They're not they're not voted into office. Votes are something for the for the for the common man. They're elected by these super delegates. It's a whole nother go between. I'm not going to. We know how it works. But that word "president" comes from augury readers, and they consider us to be animals. And your votive offering is nothing more than a migration, a migration pattern, an indication of what you might prefer. We have completely watered down the augury reader. Pr- process. And today it is the elections. I'm here to tell you because they think of us as animals and they think that they can divine future outcomes for the DOW dogs of war to predict our behavior, to put puts and bids on what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. That's Putin's and Biden's putting <laughs> and biting. So these, these, uh, uh, predictions of how you will respond to what the media tells you to do is still alive and well, and they're making big dollars off of it. And so Puxitani Phil, in that ritual on February 2nd, that's a 2-2, very sacred number, is a markation in the Zodiac that is incredibly telling. And again, we've lost astronomy. We've lost this. We don't have this key cipher. Right there at February 2nd is the, uh, we're breaking into Aquarius. We're leaving behind Capricorn. Capricorn is the fish goat. Um, it's also Medusa. She gets cap decapricorned. She loses her head in that moment. In the next constellation over, once we've taken the head off of Medusa, is Pegasus comes out of her neck. That is the next constellation. Once you move out of Capricorn, you've moved into Aquarius and you're in Pegasus. And you're in the, um, it's called uh, the Grus, or let me think, or is it the Swan? There's a Swan and a Goose. They're all on the same line. Uh, the Swan is like the the dirty, dark one, and then the, the Swan is the heavenly, clean, white. So it's a yin and a yang, these two birds. But they're in the same exact quadrant of the Zodiac, if you, if you know your stars. In all of this animal magnetism and... Uh, bestial behavior is uh, is marcated by Perseus when he cuts the head off of Medusa, and Pegasus is born out of uh, out of the head of Medusa. 
Um, so it is a really uh, essential uh, markation of the of the light cycles of the of the year of the annual uh, uh, myths. We'll say we'll just call it myths and mythology. Uh, but for werewolves to be common on in February is really fascinating because there is a desperation. Again, remember, we're done with the fall. We've eaten all of our stocks. We've eaten all the vegetables that we planted during the year. And now things are getting desperate. We don't know if we're going to make it until the next crop. And we might need to go steal our neighbor's chicken. We might need to eat something we wouldn't normally eat. We might have to resort to food sources that we're not comfortable with. And we have to make up stories and embellishments so that we can live with ourselves of what we might have done in February. So, so Phil, Phil seeing a shadow might turn you into a werewolf, but it also sounds like the real cure for being a werewolf might just be like a chicken pot pie and not a silver bullet. Unless I guess you get into the serial killer aspect, and then I guess then there's no real, <laughs> there's no. Maybe you got to go back to the silver bullet. <laughs> well, you know what? We're kind of we're kind of put in a position to have um to have buyer's remorse because we just had all these festivals and festivities where everybody brought all their foods together and we ate too much and we actually put ourselves in a, a place of vulnerability theoretically. Back in the day, we're just we're thinking in an old time mentality. We just had all these festivals and now it's like time to fast, time to not eat, time to regret what we did over the holidays. And uh, did we tap our, our stocks? Did we empty the cellar too much? And we're going to have to dig in and eat things that we'd be shameful to admit. So I got another question when it comes to like the modern day werewolf tale. Uh, Tristan, you mentioned the original like universal monsters werewolf i don't know what year that is was it like 30s or 50s or i don't even oh, know it was at 1941 okay so like the, the black and white one that most people have maybe seen like late night because it wasn't like super violent yet you know they, they got violent as, as we went it so in that original i guess version that I'll assume that most people if you say werewolf you know like that's kind of at least for me that's what come to mind like a guy wearing a shirt uh, but like he's got fur and he's got fangs and he's got like, you know, this this obvious hybrid thing going on. Is there something from that particular uh, archetype that's missing that that like you could have added to it that would have reflected like the traditional idea of werewolf more? No, I mean, I think I think because. No, I mean, ultimately, when we we talk about werewolf, I mean, from the very beginning with Lycaon and the Greek stories in Arcadia all the way to now, um, the, the theme of of a werewolf is mutilation. You know, it, it's becoming something else and then it's mutilation. You know, and ultimately, that's what the werewolf does, right? Um, and I, I, I think they really get that right in, in all of these modern films. Right. Um, I can't say they're all good, <laughs> but right. Um, but they, they get the core concept of it. Correct. Um, and because there are so many different spins on it, like the Romanians have their own idea, right? The, the, the Dacians that the pre-Romanians what they were called then had their own completely new idea on it. In fact, they believe the wolf was a good thing. Uh, there were warriors of the wolf. 
and they would they would transform into wolves in order to go to war, to battle and stuff. And they were guardians, right? So everybody has had so many different ideas on what werewolves are over these last two thousand five hundred years. At this point, written record um, in all these different locations that it's really hard to say that, Hey, they're getting it wrong because who's to say what's right and wrong anymore. Well, was, that's going to be my next question. Who got it right? I mean, if you just, <laughs> you'd have to find a werewolf, capture them and then, and then, uh, speak with them about that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and there are plenty of other, I mean, the Navajo had ideas of, Oh, of man. werewolves and essentially witches that would turn into werewolves and, and strike. And there were other, you know, pretty much anywhere, almost anywhere there is wolves, there is some sort of a tale involving transforming into one. Right. You know, I got to point out that Ovid was put in exile in Romania. And, uh, and allegedly that's where his, where his tail leaves off. And so they've seeded, they've literally put a seed of, uh, uh, metamorphosis. That's, that's his, 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 his master, his master work. So the seed of metamorphosis was implanted into Romania. And so I would say that they would be the authority on the situation as they inherited his, uh, his blood. So supposedly there are those who still believe in vampires and werewolves in, in Transylvania. <laughs> I wanted to ask too, just like there's a lot of ways to end a werewolf, the ways to begin a werewolf. So you mentioned that some could be like born a werewolf. I've heard, I mean, I guess the, the traditional Hollywood version is that all you have to do is get bit or scratched by a werewolf, almost like zombie rules. And yeah. in that case, it seems like it takes the curse part out. Like no longer are you being punished for eating human flesh. Now you're being punished with the desire to do that. Even if you were a good person before, which sort of deviates from the original stories, even like the Medusa story. It's so kind of like deviates a little bit from that. So, I mean, like where, where do you think that comes in? And are there any other like really specific ways that you can become a werewolf? Is it like, if you say a certain word or like, Across a certain bridge. So there's there's many. Well, first of all, with where does the biting come in? We did see in the verse I read earlier about, which is from the second century AD, about um, treating the bite the same way you would with um, the medicine you use for snake bite, right? So it implies there's a bite. So it may be there that we get our first instance of a bite transforming someone into a wolf, kind of like, like a zombie thing. But um, there are a lot of different ways. Uh, there's one passage uh, I was just reading of earlier. Uh, this is from ancient Greece of, of somebody simply just taking their clothes off, putting it on the ground, walking around in a circle, peeing, and then they turn into a wolf. Yeah. And Gabe, does, that, does that work? I feel like you've tried that. In the story, it says it, they, they says it works. I have not done such a thing. Um, I have carpeting in my house, uh, but um, <laughs> that, 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 that echoes very closely with a lot of the missing 411 stories, people's clothes being folded up very nicely or intentionally, or the opposite turned perfectly inside out 
uh, and sometimes even collapse down on their shoes, like like exactly as though they had evaporated in their clothes. Like, you know, imagine your pants just dropping down on your shoes as though you were extracted from existence. That's just fascinating that that ritualistically has an echo with a lot of the 411, you know, hints yeah. and allegations. I, I thought for sure you were going to chime in about the P uh, angle of that. But also for the for anyone listening or even Tristan, if, if you haven't heard of the missing 411, it's this uh, coincidental um, disappearance of people that overlaps with like uh, national parks and also perhaps cave systems. And it's a, a huge favor of the Bigfoot community where they'll usually say that the missing 411 is like Bigfoot snatching people up. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I used to live in a national forest. Actually, I, I lived there until three months ago. And, uh, I yeah, I heard things often. Um, a lot of people, you know, they come and they don't, they've lived, let's say, you know, they live in the city their whole life or they've, they're out of shape and then they get, or they, they're not, they don't think things through or plan things out. And like, I'm going to go hiking in January and I'm going to bring a, and, and, and it doesn't go well. And then they have to I run into any problems. I'll just YouTube it while I'm out there. <laughs> they just, yeah. And then the, and then you can't because there's no cell service <laughs> and everything goes awry and they have to send people to try to find you and rescue. So that happened often where people just, you know, get lost or yeah. You know, uh, there's a, there's a few. There, so the, you, are you familiar, Tristan, with the with David Pelias's work? No. Okay. He's uh, he's he's the character who has accumulated this. Uh, essentially, he has a list of ten criteria. Um, he started off small with just a few cases, and it, it turned into something so large that he had to uh, whittle it down to a, a list of ten uh, common denominators. And those 10 common denominators are the only things that he'll pay attention to because he sees a modus operandi at work, a fingerprint, if you will, of commonalities that is fascinating beyond, beyond me telling you. I highly recommend uh, find what you can with it. But he has a secondary list uh, that is uh, more obscure, but he has enough data points that he had to make a secondary list. On the secondary list is a lot of uh, genealogy that tracks back to Germany, specifically the black forests of Germany, which is a dog whistle to me because I happen to know about Umbaba and the story of Gilgamesh and Enkidu uh, infiltrating the black forest and fighting this witch. Um, and also Martin Heidegger in his little shack his little hut in the Black Forest. There are all of these uh, fascinating hints in, uh, in innuendos to the Pelitis work that, uh, that only those who have read certain things will actually, their ears will perk up. And I'll say this, that a lot of people don't know. 411 in septenary is DNA. And so the missing link the missing DNA, the missing genetic link is said to be some sort of whatever, man, animal, man, beast, Sasquatch, whatever you want to call man, they're it. Big. You got it. You got it. So, yeah, on this, of the subliminal le um, level, when he says 411, he's also saying DNA. 
uh, tribe of Dan. They're always tracking the tribe of Dan wherever they're going. Got to track those footprints. So I also want to ask something that'll just like force you to speculate no matter what a little bit. So and I'll, I'll start with uh, Tristan and I'm going to hear from Gabe too. We'll just say theoretically you wake up tomorrow or I guess at midnight hits and you transform into a werewolf. What do you do? Do you just go back inside and just put on TV and hope it passes, or like do you, do you? That is if I have if I have control or not. If if I if I have let's, got, let's say you've got some control. Well, I guess if you've got some control, you also need like a little bit of an urge to like be a werewolf. Oh gosh, I don't know. That's that's a, not a good thing. Um, Would you just suppress it and stay inside? Would you call a doctor? Would you like take video evidence? Would you start live streaming? I streaming? call all of them. I don't know. I. I <laughs> You start calling professors up like, oh, you were wrong. We were all wrong. Hey, remember I was a student with yours all this time ago and blah, blah, blah. And uh, you don't happen to know anything about this, do you? <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 this thought has never occurred to me, um, I must say. Um, and so uh, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. It, it sounds like you'd end up eating friends and family then, unfortunately. If you don't have a backup plan, that's kind of what happens here. Yeah. Yeah, didn't have wasn't prepared. That's how I mean, they get. I'm, that's I'm already thinking like you go to a, a Waffle House and and you get yourself locked into their their freezer overnight. The freezer overnight. That I might suppose. be, and then there's like sausage patties and stuff that could like really hold you over if it got too out of control. I don't think I would want to live as a monster, and so I would probably off myself. To be frank, um, you could also do that at a Waffle House. By the way, it wouldn't be that hard. I'm sure it's happened before. Man, I would totally take justice into my own hands and <laughs> think up the the you know the most productive kill list I can think of and find so my way closer to the serial killer uh, side of the spectrum. It sounds yeah. like I need I need two days to travel. I think I can get to Washington in two days. If you give me two <laughs> days and then I turn, we can we can work this out. This could be a productive shift. <laughs> oh, and. The the whole aspect of like turning back into a normal human again when when the mole, the full moon you know goes away or like once daybreak it like there's this weird overlap with like vampires although I don't know if that was just like a common theme for all monsters or is there something specific about that? Well, vampires and and werewolves are they're similar in a way you know, they fill m- several things right with the mutilation with the cannibalism right I mean you know, eating people versus drinking blood. A lot of people describe vampirism as a, a form of... Like, oh, I'm on a liquid diet. Sorry. <laughs> if you can yeah. juice that for me, then we're in business. Yeah, so they're, the, vamp- the, the vampires are the liquid diet version of the werewolf. And, um, you know, they all... They, so there, there's inherent similarities, right, uh, to them. And... Um, it's funny, too, because vegans also tend to have, like, paler skin and the, the sunken eyes. So, yeah, so... The, the vegan versions, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have started a new werewolf hunt by the time this is over. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I... <laughs> um, so there's different ways, like some of them in the Arcadian myths, which with, with, with King Lacan, um, they would, in order to turn themselves back human, they would need to abstain from eating human flesh for a period of nine years. If they could accomplish that, 
they would return back to their human form, if they could avoid this temptation. There are similar tales in Ireland um, of similar things. I believe the period is seven years in that in that tale. But um, would they have to do that cold turkey, or can like you wean yourself off of it over those years? You no, know, if they if they ate, if they tasted human flesh while in wolf form, they would remain a wolf forever. Hmm. Yeah, and um, so the cure could be um, turning back into human and. The Arcadian think one of it was they would swim across a swamp. And once they got to the other side, they'd be a wolf and they lived that way for nine years. And then they return and they'd swim back to the other side of the swamp and then they would turn to their human form. Right. So there were various different ways, be it um, exorcisms, be it attempts at medicine, right, be it murder, right, to solve this problem. A lot of the different cultures over time had a lot of different explanations. So, uh, Tristan, some of the some of the gems from our our Dahmer dig that we did are uh, are still really valuable. I think you'll enjoy. Um, so the Netflix was launching the Dahmer mind uh, uh, crop seeding. <laughs> They're crop seeding the thoughts of humanity with that Dahmer. It was launched in Libra, which again is under the wolf. Uh, the Libra constellation is just right next to the Lupus constellation with the spear going through the wolf. And uh, so there's this sense of like uh, communal catharsis that this bad guy is going to get his due comeuppance. But then Netflix puts this weird spin where they make him sexy and socially acceptable. And then the kids, I actually have a friend's son who does a Dahmer impression and he thinks I'm going to be impressed or think it's cool or condone it. And I'm like, buddy, I don't think you got the message of what Dahmer was all about, man. I think you got a twisted, you got a twisted version of the story, but that happened at a very fascinating time in stride with uh, Donald Trump was put on trial at the same time. And I couldn't help, but symbolically correspond to them to one another. Uh, partially because of the hair swoosh, they have the same silly, whatever hairdo, but that's not, that's not all. There's also this aspect of the wolf is in exile. Traditionally, the wolf is considered uh, in exile. And I want to share some of the examples of this, uh, this outcast, this outlaw, outlaw. Again, if you were seeing in the stars, like I do, the, the, literally, the symbol of the law, the scales of justice, the wolf is just off outside of the law. This is also Anubis. Anubis is holding the scales of justice when they weigh your heart as you go into the underworld, the weighing of the heart ceremony. So it's very apropos for this alpha wolf, this alpha canine, uh, to be in a position right next to the, the scales of justice. Um, and so... Um, there is a phrase in English common law. It is caput gerit lupinum. And caput gerit lupinum means let him wear the wolf's head. And this is an all points bulletin announcement that they put onto the masses to tell all of the common folk that you are obligated to kill this motherfucker. And if you don't, kill him, then we're going to consider you on his side. And it is so extreme, this program that they run on the populace, 
It is so extreme that they tell the people that if the wolf, if this outlaw, if this person who we've put an APB, that's an APAPL bull, all points bullet in, bullet pointing in, all points bulletin to kill this person. It is so extreme that if they invade your home and they've taken over your house, you are obligated to burn your own house down. And that little fact of social engineering is still alive and well today. It has to do with the Third Amendment. Strangely enough, we still have people uh, ready on command to respond to these orders uh, if somebody invades your house uh, under the pretext of color of law. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, men would uh, be derelicts from their from their uh, regiment. They would run away in a group and they would all still look like soldiers. They're still wearing certain colors and they would actually go and invade houses uh, while they're uh, uh, in dereliction. But anyway, Kaput Garrett Lupinum is still alive and well. It's still practiced in fascinating ways. But I want to I want to highlight the let him wear the wolf's head. This is telling people to uh, to designate this person. It's a command to designate them as a wolf and treat them as an alpha predator that needs to be killed ASAP. Because Adolf means wolf's head. The Ed Wolf. In Norse, the word Ulf, this is your, your olfactory senses which is the most primordial sense going back to your instincts, uh, having uh, informing you on a level that you didn't even know you were picking up on, this olfactory sense. So the word Adolf is the head wolf, or it also means noble wolf. And this history is in certain people's blood. Some people are really responsive to this programming, uh, epigenetically speaking. And so what is really wild is that might have been his name all along. It might have been seated in his consciousness a little more uh, substantially because of his genetics, because his name probably echoed to him even more so than to us with our English ear. So he might have been more and more uh, inclined to don the wolf's head willingly, right? And now... uh, a lot of folks should look into his hypnosis session. During the First World War, he was rendered blind from some sort of gas. It was psychosomatic. It wasn't even, it was just because everybody else went blind. So he had to go to a hypnotist. And the hypnotist that he saw was the uh, one of two major hyp- hypnotists uh, in that day, was one of the leading, most accomplished hypnotists. And he went in that room. As a blind man, he came out able to see, and he had a God complex like none other when he came out of the hypnosis session. So the power of names, people take it totally for granted. Not on my watch. I'm not letting any names go unaccounted for. And so the power of his name had seated him and prepared him for some sort of crazy, crazy God complex that the hypnotist might have tapped into. And what did he name his bunker? It was the wolf's den. He literally named his lair, his lair of hate, hate lair of the wolf den. 
And so philologically, there's a lot going on behind the scenes in the in the unappreciated level of these words and these uh, communications. Uh, but I just find it very fascinating that uh, that was his name from birth. And it is the role that he that he put on, that he accepted, that he acquiesced to and fulfilled to the max. And it's also, it's so fascinating that Hitler has both impact, hit, but it also has hate. And who do we hate the most? People who we like to compare to that name. Well, there, there goes the HelloFresh sponsorship. Thanks for that. Uh, but I also, um, that makes me think of the the wolf's head as one of the secret societies alongside Yale, I believe, right next to Scroll and Key. That, that might be worth a little deep dive too, because the wolf's head maybe that's also like we need to like we're the ones that are going to go ahead and take that responsibility it's us that need to put on that well before before i send you down into a a whole tunnel though i don't want to be a party pooper but we're we're going to start wrapping this up a little bit here so we can leave some cream on top for the next one yeah well, well we're going to keep sinking but uh first let me just ask is there anything we left on the table to tristan when it comes to werewolves and you were like, damn, we talked for about werewolves for an hour and a half, and we didn't mention X. What would that X be? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, good one. Um, <clears throat> okay, so... Um, yes. Uh, yes. If you... If you're watching this and you feel like you are a werewolf or becoming one or you're having these types of urges, uh, you should seek help, professional help. That's the little. What's, what's the chance that someone <laughs> might actually be a werewolf in your mind? Huh? <laughs> what's the actual chance percentage wise? Well, I mean, if you're talking about like somebody who believes they are one and is attacking people and stuff and barking, yeah, that's real. Um, a, a real one. Um, I mean, so far I haven't seen, I, I mean, I don't have any evidence of something becoming when it turn when it comes to animal, one animal becoming another. All right. Or, or, uh, anything like that in, in nature. Um, and, and so I can't, I, I would think not. So is that a 0%? Yes. Yeah. All right, Gabe. What did we? What did we not? Uh, what did we leave on the table? And I want to hear your percentage. Oh man, man, oh man. Uh, well, whether the percentage of the chance that somebody's a real werewolf? Yeah, right in twenty twenty three, right now. Well, uh, it, there. Uh, I think I hear a lot of words. I'm looking yeah, for numbers. Yeah. I think it is important for people to experiment with uh, substances that alter you in a very uh, strategic manner. I think that, you know, you should don't don't go your whole life never having drank, never having smoked and then just do cocaine on the first fucking night because you're going to think you're a fucking werewolf. You know, there's a there are there's a certain procedure, a process of working yourself into states of altered consciousness. And I think that it's important that people uh, start with the PG before they go to the PG and then the PG-13 and then then they get to the triple X. So I think that a person who goes straight to cocaine on their first time they ever tried anything 
you're going to think you're something. You're well, gonna- be careful. Cocaine's also a sponsor of this show. We don't want to start <laughs> implying anything that's going to right. offend them. Yeah. And you know, the same thing goes for uh, those substances that are safe and secure. Uh, you be careful. You be careful. The word safe and secure is an anagram for sacrifice. Here, any anytime you want to say something, I'll just do I'll just hold up a visual and then we can move on. Okay. You don't have to Fauci on the you couch. You gotta spell it. Oh, that's okay. I was like, who is that? Okay. Fauci. Fauci is a you know, thing. Fauci he, is he's wearing his, his mask. That's maybe that's why you didn't That's it. really nice that it's it can, you know, you can take it off, you can put it on. That's right. Yeah. He's, he has an alternate persona. He can switch personas. The word pose persona is a word mask. Uh, I want to share this one. Um, so I was uh, studying the Voynich manuscripts and the provenance. and As one does. As one does. <laughs> and um, sure enough, uh, for a long time, it was held up in a library called, I think it's the Library of Santa Gandolfo. And so I had to look. I was like, Gandalf? It was at a library with the name Gandalf. So I had to look up the name Gandalf. And sure enough, the word Gandalf, which is very well known, it means battle wolf. And I think that is just fascinating. And we know that uh, uh, Tolkien was a, he was a linguistical ninja. He was on a whole nother level with language. So when he named that character Gandalf, he was putting a dog whistle term for those who are in the uh, linguistical know. Uh, that Gandalf also encodes uh, Battle Wolf. And so in, in your studies, uh, Tristan, every time you hear O-L-F, you know, I want you to think about the Ulf and this Norse terminology, this, uh, this unsung linguistical uh, cousin of our German brothers. German means brother, Hermano. The G becomes soft. So the Germans are our linguistical brothers. And they have a, a cousin who they're more familiar with than us. And it is North, the Norse language. And so I just wanted to put that in your, on your radar as you, as you go through the research uh, that the word, you know, this, that sound, Ulf, is still invoking the wolf. Thank you. Well, <laughs> This went into way more angles than I was expecting. We got some linguistics in here. We talked about trivium and quadrivium. Who knew that all that was going to come up in an episode about werewolves and serial killers? So I want to pass it back to you, Gabe, to let people know where to find you, what else you got going on. Yeah, man. uh, uh, Slick Dissident shared learning experience has gone through a minor renovation. We are no longer a shared learning experience. Uh, I am now a shared artistic expression. And if you come over to my channel, I am having much more fun and a much more free flow form of, uh, of playfulness. He's I mean, off the leash. Off the leash, buddy. You got it. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not really, uh, I spent a lot of time worrying about being right or being understood and i think oh, it's overrated being right and understood is way overrated totally i can i can get so much more done if i just <laughs> say what i gotta say and let the cards land where they may so uh, i've also opened myself up to donations i've got the cash app down below come come give me some uh <laughs> yeah check me out on a uh, uh one-on-one every once in a while and um 
uh, Chance Garten with the uh, Interverse and the Vibrance on Wednesdays. We're having good times over there. We just we're doing herb walks. Uh, I, it is highly informative. We've got a couple herbalists on hand, and they're going back and forth, uh, uh, giving us a lot of these natural lost home remedies, uh, so c- people can get back to nature. And we're having a lot of fun with that. Oh yeah! And then uh, again, Tristan, you can take us out. Let us know where to find you again. Uh, yeah. So on YouTube, it's just literally my name that you can see, <laughs> Tristan Irwin. <laughs> And then I'll, I have a book coming out probably early next year called The Celtica. What's the name of it? The Celtica. The Celtica. I love that yeah. name. That's a great. Yeah, yeah you yeah. you missed out the when we when we first started that that's what he's working on now is a book about the Celts. So we've got a lot we can talk about on the next one. Uh, hopefully this was informative. Hopefully you guys had a good time. Gabe, I know you want to. Can we get a howl? <laughs> you can do one too if you want, Tristan, or you, you don't have to. I I, I don't. Oh. <laughs> oh, all right, we got them. <laughs> we've got we've got some coming from the background too. I don't know if you heard it. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, I'm gonna take us out with a promo for my new comic book, which you can back right now. And even if you're watching this in the future, you can go to the same website and it'll bring you to where you can get a copy. It is frazzledripfunhouse.com. Frazzle Drip Funhouse. Enter, if you dare, the world of an animatronic bear whose metallic heart beats with a thirst for justice, a hunger for revenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, connoisseurs of the macabre and seekers of the scandalous. Your voracious appetites for chilling narratives are about to be satiated by the heart-stopping, pulse-pounding creation of paranoid American and winged sun comics. Abandoned in the dusty corners of amusement, now awoken in the murk of wickedness perpetrated by an evil elite. This is not your childhood fairy tale, but a macabre dance of vindication, soaked in crimson, a symphony of screams echoing in the dimly lit chambers of malevolence. Be prepared for an onslaught of ghastly gore and titillating terror. A wicked waltz through twisted hallways and blood-stained basements where only the brave dare to tread. Quake at the bear's unyielding pursuit, cackle at the sharp and sardonic one-liners, shudder at the graphic, gratuitous scenes that harken back to the glory days of B-horror flicks. Frazzledrip Funhouse is your ticket to a thrill ride of terror carnival of carnage where the laughs are as loud as the screams uncover the truth beneath the rust and the blood and remember nothing is as it seems are you ready to step into the frazzle drip funhouse where the animatronic eyes are always watching and vengeance is a game that everyone can play get your backer exclusive cover on indiegogo for more information visit paranoidamerican.com At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.